Well, in the annual rhythm of our church, uh, today is a pretty big day. You know, after a summer of trying to rest and recover, and especially this summer, focusing so much of the month of August, learning how to recover and how to fill our tanks with self and soul care, we find ourselves in this back-to-school season, which is kind of synonymous with the launch of our ministry season here at Southridge. And so traditionally, uh, the Sunday after Labor Day is what we call kickoff Sunday, and it's a huge deal around here that so many of us are excited about. The question that I'm wondering this year is, are you? Are you excited about the season that we're in? And are you excited about launching back into things uh, as a church community? And I ask that because in talking with many of you and in hearing stories of people, you know, even beyond Southridge, you know, there's some maybe caution or concern or even squeamishness about diving back in to local church life. I talk with some of you that are COVID conscious and uh, you know are nervous about kids back at school and colder temperatures and the tsunami of COVID that we're anticipating this fall and are, are kind of keeping your distance still from large crowds and don't really want to be around people. Uh, there are others who have been affected relationally, even by the pandemic and the way that society, maybe even the church has, has handled it, find yourself polarized or divided from people and don't really want to be around people or, or certain people these days. Then there are others who, especially in the last couple of years, have found other ways to spend your time, especially on Sunday mornings, and would rather, you know, do camping or hiking or just good old-fashioned sleeping in. And then there are some of you I've talked to who, especially in the pandemic, have found the, 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 the silence, the solitude, and the simplicity really spiritually invigorating, and have found yourself growing more spiritually in a way that has you less dependent on the programs of a local church and are finding that maybe you don't need things in community as much anymore. And regardless of whether you can relate to one or any of those uh, kind of feelings, they're out there. And I'm hearing more and more this sentiment that, you know, maybe sometimes people are kind of done with church. And if you're wondering where that comes from, it's, it's not just a pandemic thing. It was, it was kind of a trend emerging before the pandemic. In fact, even before the pandemic, two of the fastest growing religious segments in our part of the world were what's called the nuns and duns. The nuns, not the Mother Teresa nuns, but the N-O-N-E-S's, people with no religious affiliation versus people who had religious affiliation, you know, associated with a community who had kind of checked out of that, that they might be into spirituality, it might be into Jesus, but they're not into church. And so before we launch into this ministry season, excited as a community, we thought we should first of all ask whether we are excited as a community. And maybe the more rudimentary question of why would someone, and more importantly, why would a follower of Jesus be excited about this thing that we call the church? Well, in the seat that I sit in, I would love to provide a myriad of persuasive arguments, but the reality is that there really is only one reason why, especially a follower of Jesus, would ever really be in to this thing called the church. And we find that reason in the story of God recounted in the Bible, centered on the person of Jesus. 
Uh, I'll give you a little clue uh, in a book of the Bible called the Book of Acts. Now, the Book of Acts appears after the four biographical accounts of Jesus' life. So there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then Acts. And the Book of Acts is written uh, by the same person who wrote the Gospel of Luke, a doctor by the name of Luke. And he begins this second book, the Book of Acts, this way. He says, in my former book, Theophilus, the person he's writing to, he says, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. So he begins this second book by referring to his former book as all that Jesus, he says, began to do and teach. Now, that's an interesting way of phrasing what happened in his former book, because his former book kind of encapsulates the entirety of Jesus' life on earth. You know, his birth, his sinless life, his sacrificial death, his miraculous resurrection, and just the entirety of Jesus' activity on earth is captured uh, in that first book by Luke. But Luke refers to that as all that Jesus began to do and teach, implying that that was just the beginning. And that the second book is going to describe how the activity of Jesus was to continue now through this description in the book of Acts. And so early on in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he records this conversation that Jesus has with his original disciples. Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Starts off by Jesus addressing a you, and that you isn't an individual person. That you is more like a yous guys or a y'all, and and uh, refers to the collective group of followers of Jesus, the people who had apprenticed under him, his disciples who were learning to uh, learning of him in order to learn to live like him. And he says to these disciples that as a result of his resurrection, they're going to receive a resource in the form of the Holy Spirit, the same resource that empowered him to live the way that he did on earth. And through that resource, this collection of followers of Jesus was going to be able to be what Jesus describes as his witnesses, a witness being a person who validates the truth of something. And so energized and empowered by his risen Holy Spirit, this collective of followers of Jesus was going to be able to validate the reality of Jesus in the days to come by how they lived together. I want us to notice in a bit of a timeout kind of a way, especially if we're followers of Jesus, how deal-breakingly critical this moment is in the story of God's activity throughout human history. Because up until that point, all of God's activity took place through this single person in Jesus Christ. It took place through a he. But at this point, Jesus transitions his work, not from a he, but now through a we, empowered by his risen spirit. In his former book, in those biographical accounts of Jesus' life, the activity of God took place through a he in the person of Jesus. But now, suddenly, the activity of Jesus that began then continues on, but it continues on through a Holy Spirit unified and energized we of followers of Jesus who are empowered to be his witnesses and live in a way that legitimizes his reality on earth. 
Now that idea makes you kind of squirm because of the way that followers of Jesus so often fail to legitimize the reality of Jesus in our day and age. Uh, understand that that was kind of understood by Jesus and sort of the point of his activity in the we. Not that they wouldn't look like him, but that he would work in the we in order to progressively become more like that. And in the same way that Jesus invites individual people, no matter who we are, what we've done or where we come from, to become his followers as far away from bearing his likeness as likeness as we probably do, in the collective we, he invites us into that very same process where he builds his likeness among us. You see this in Matthew 16, where he first says to his original disciple, Peter, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. He looks at this follower of Jesus who wants to follow him, who recognizes who he is, and he says, on this rock, the name Peter means rock, so it's a bit of a play on words, on this Peter, on this person who wants to follow me in this way, I'm going to build something. I'm going to build this thing called the church. And in the building language, Jesus is referring to this movement of his activity where he would be growing and developing something within this we that is the continuation of his story in the world. Take a look at what it says in Ephesians chapter 4. There it says, Jesus makes the whole body fit together perfectly. And as each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. This is a description of the way that Jesus wants to work in the we today. Here the Apostle Paul refers to the church, the, the collection of followers of Jesus, as a body. He compares it to a physical body and individual followers of Jesus would be represented as individual you know, body parts, unique uh, among all of us, but interconnected and joined together as a we. And he says that as this we in whom the life of Jesus dwells and permeates, that Jesus is busy growing something. He's developing something. He's making something among followers of Jesus so that over time we can be increasingly healthy. And as we're growing, we can be increasingly full of love. And as we are, we're able to be those witnesses who validate his reality in the world. At the end of the day, that really is the one and only reason why a follower of Jesus would be into this thing called the church today. Because on the one hand, as a follower of Jesus, we are the church. And on the other hand, the one thing that Jesus is into these days is the church in growing and developing and building it into a picture of his life and love in the world. We can give lots of other, you know, maybe persuasive arguments, but the bottom line is that that really is the only ultimate reason that the identity of a follower of Jesus is to be the church and the function of a follower of Jesus is to build the church, both unified and empowered by the risen spirit of Jesus as he continues to tell his story in the world today. Look at what it says in Ephesians chapter 2. This is another image that the Apostle Paul uses. He says, as a result of Christ's work, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. 
In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Again, instead of a a physical body metaphor, the apostle Paul uses a different image, this time a building where individual followers of Jesus are like bricks or building blocks that Jesus is assembling together. And in whom, again, just like a body, in whom Jesus is dwelling, he is building and growing and developing this collective we in order to paint a picture of him in the world. That's the vision of the church that Jesus invites followers of Jesus into today, to live as a collective we and to allow him to function in and through the collective we to reveal himself to the world. It's not enough to respond as outrageous and amazing as it is to respond to the invitation of Jesus to be forgiven and set free of your past sin and to be empowered to a new life with him personally and individually. Jesus invites us into more than just Jesus and me. He also intends for us to experience a Jesus and we, where together we function as his bride, his body, and his building in whom he dwells called the church. Well, that's not to say that participating as a we does not come with its challenges or struggles. In fact, in the coming weeks, we want to take an honest look at some of those struggles and some of those primary reasons why people would kind of check out of church or why people these days would be done with church. Things like the pain that the church causes and its ineffectiveness at times or just the the sheer embarrassment of being associated with so much of it that we see in the media these days. We're going to take an honest look at that, but for today, I want us just to take a step back and be compelled by the picture that Jesus is trying to create through the church, and more importantly, be compelled by the continuation of the story of Jesus that exists today in this we that he calls the church. Are we compelled by the fact that God is continuing to tell the story of Jesus today, and he's doing it through this thing called the church? You know, many times around here, we describe the story of God through the structure of a story that we refer to called the monomythic cycle, the single pattern or structure of a story, especially an epic narrative. If you've been around here enough, you know that I've walked us through this many times, this pattern or structure of a story that begins with an original ideal, kind of that once upon a time moment, and then soon after, conflict emerges. And the conflict is where the plot kind of develops and the plot thickens as that conflict intensifies and things go from bad to worse, all the way to the point in the story where it hits rock bottom. But then at that rock bottom moment, there's a surprising twist. And coming out of that surprising twist in the story, we see an era of restoration only to lead to a superior ideal that is over and above beyond the original ideal, the happily ever after that's better than the once upon a time. In the story of God told in the pages of the scriptures, that's where we find ourselves today. Beginning with God's vision of creation, creating humanity as his image bearers. But because of our desire to deviate and go independent from him, we chose our own path and brought sin into the world. Throughout the Old Testament, you see sin only intensify, kind of illustrative of humanity's futility to address the issue of sin our way, to the point where by the end of the Old Testament, the people of God have kind of hit rock bottom. They've been kind of abandoned, conquered, defeated, divided, and are feeling like God has left them. 
And all of a sudden, the surprising twist of the story of God appears in the person of Jesus, not just in his life, death, and resurrection, but in the fact that God intervened on our behalf in a way that we never could. And by sending Jesus to earth to live sinlessly and die sacrificially and rise miraculously, his Holy Spirit became available to indwell and empower the lives of forgiven believers, to unite them together for the era of restoration called the church that will one day lead to the promised return of Jesus who's going to set up his new heaven and new earth even more spectacularly than the original creation we read about in Genesis. Gang, that's the story of God. And on this kickoff Sunday, September 11th of 2022, do we realize and are we gripped by the fact that today we find ourselves in the middle of this era of restoration where the risen Jesus continues to tell his story through this unified and empowered we that we, you and I and us together, get to be a part of. And if we're not gripped by the story that God continues to tell through Jesus, through the church, can we at least take a step back and be gripped by the person of Jesus in a fresh way? Because the story that God continues to tell through Jesus, remember, began with the person of Jesus on earth, a person of Jesus who demonstrated compassion like we've never seen before, that moved slowly and noticed people, especially those on the margins. The story of Jesus began with a Jesus who demonstrated such humility that he always took the seat of least honor and was always able to orient himself to the other. The story of Jesus began with a a, a Jesus who demonstrated such a graciousness that he consistently and willingly was able to turn the other cheek, even and especially when people closest to him hurt him the most. The story of Jesus began with a person who voluntarily relinquished privilege for the less privileged. The story of Jesus began with a person who demonstrated such a loose grip on money and possessions and material things and generously gave his life for the sake of others. The story of Jesus began with a yieldedness to God that said, not your will, not my will, but yours. And the story of Jesus began with such amazing, incredible, miraculous, transformative and healing power. That's how the story of Jesus began through the person of Jesus. And that's how it intends to continue today through you and me together as a we. Take a look at what it says in Ephesians chapter one. It says there, God placed all things under Jesus' feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Understand that the definition of the church is not some spiritual shopping mall that is some third-party entity that peddles some spiritual goods and services that you can kind of, you know, receive or, or purchase or contribute to in a way that competes with every other way of spending time. The church is the manifestation of Jesus in the world today. It's the continuation of God's story in our day and age. And I hope that today we can take a step back and be gripped by that opportunity, let alone to be gripped by the person of Jesus who wants to continue telling that story today. Because the fact is, it's only as we're gripped by Jesus and the story he continues to tell today that we're going to be gripped by this thing we get to be a part of called the church. In fact, the way that we've described it internally is it's only as we allow ourselves in a fresh way to become completely undone by Jesus again that we'll actually reclaim his vision for the church and be undone with church. It's only as we become undone with Jesus that we become undone 
with church. And so for the next three weeks, we're going to dive into that head on. And like I said earlier, we're going to look intensively at some of the main reasons why people these days are tempted to be done with church. The amount of pain that the church causes so many of us, the, the ineffectiveness of the church so much of the time, and the embarrassment that it can be so often, especially when we see and read things happening, you know, in the media and on our social media scrolls and things like that. Um, if you're feeling that today, know that we're not going to dive into this series judgmentally. We're actually going to dive into it empathetically, appreciating not only that so many of us have felt so many of those things a lot of the time, but Jesus himself wrestled with those very things when he walked the earth. And by staring at the life of Jesus, and again, spoiler alert, becoming overwhelmed and captivated by the person of Jesus, we believe that we can become overwhelmed and captivated in a fresh way with this vision that he has for the collective we among us to be and build this thing called the church. Because at the end of the day, that's the only reason why a follower of Jesus would be into it. Because our identity as followers of Jesus is to be the church and our function as followers of Jesus is to build the church empowered by his risen spirit. You take a look at what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Apostle Paul there says, now you together, you are the body of Christ and each one of you individually is a part of it. You are the body of Christ and individually part of it. Of it. At the end of the day, the church isn't something that we can be done with if we're into Jesus. We can't feel like we're so into Jesus that we're no longer into church or that we've matured so spiritually in Jesus that we don't need to be part of the church anymore. The church, we say, is God's plan A in the world today. There is no plan B. It is the way that Jesus continues to tell his story through the collective we that seek to follow him. And I hope that we can take a step back today and see that not as a have to, but as a get to. And imagine the unthinkable privilege that we've been given in this time in human history, not just to be Jesus rescued and forgiven children individually, but to be grafted in and adopted into his family, to be brought in as members of his body, as pieces of his building in whom he collectively dwells to paint a picture of him that validates his reality in our day and age and contributes to the era of restoration in the time in human history where we find ourselves as Jesus' story continues in and among us. Can we be captivated by that in a way that captivate us, captivates us again for the life that Jesus intends us to live together? Quick action step for every one of us across our Southridge locations today. If you want to take a step forward in this regard, show up tonight at our One Church event at 6 p.m. at our St. Catharines location. Not only will we have childcare uh, for kids up to grade five, uh, it's going to end by 7.30, we promise, so that you can get your kids home before bedtime. But it has been three years since we've been able to convene in a one church kind of way. And we are so looking forward to not only experiencing a vision night where we can look more specifically at some of the nuances of how we understand God moving specifically in our part of this body and building of Jesus called the church that we call Southridge in the coming season. But we're going to allow ourselves to be overwhelmed again in a spotlight worship time for the first time in three years where we can convene together as one body, as one family across all of our locations and be gripped again by the love of Jesus and the life he allows us to participate in. 
believing that if we allow ourselves to be gripped by Jesus, then we can together be gripped by the life he's inviting us into. Because throughout this month, we want to discover in a fresh way that if we allow ourselves to be undone by Jesus, we just might find ourselves undone with church. Let's pray together. Jesus, uh, on this kickoff Sunday here at Southridge, we want to thank you uh, for ultimately who you want to be among us and the life that you've invited us into. And I pray that you would grip each of us in a personal and powerful way with the idea that at this time in human history, you want to continue telling your story and you want to continue telling it through the collective we that is your bride and your body and your building in whom you dwell. Remind us and inspire us in a fresh way that the very power that enabled you to live in such an incredible, compelling way on earth some 2,000 years ago lives today and lives in us, not just in me and others individually, but lives in us collectively so that we can be that witness that in the way that we live together validates your reality in the part of the world you've placed us in this time in human history. Inspire us by that, Jesus, and inspire us by you and by the continuation of your story in our lives and in the world so that we can be not just undone with church, but we can fall in love with your bride in the same way that you're in love with your bride. And we can fully engage the rest of our one and only life together with each other in partnership with you in this incredible adventure to be and build the church in the world. We thank you, Jesus, for that opportunity and pray that you would stir that passion up among us in a fresh way in this season. We love you and we thank you for all these things in your name, we pray. Amen.